0: today on episode 437 of i am salt lake podcast we are joined by ross and cody the owners of bewilder brewing from right here in salt lake city in this conversation we get to talk about the obstacles that they faced with opening the brewery and how they overcame them We also talk about the struggles that the brewery had to face due to the coronavirus. We also talk about the beers on tap, their restaurant menu, and how we as a community can support them and all the other amazing businesses from right here in Salt Lake City during this time. But before we get into this
1: conversation, we should probably introduce ourselves. My name is Chris Hollifield, And my name is Chrissy Hollifield. And if this is your first time listening to this podcast, you could be wondering what it's all about. Well, our show is to showcase awesome people right here in salt lake city utah we get to talk to breweries distilleries restaurant owners artists musicians comedians really anyone that has a cool story to share it's been interesting recording this podcast
0: uh the last couple weeks chrissy because it's so different
1: it really is
0: then for the really the past eight years i've been yeah. trying to coordinate schedules it seems like everybody's busier somehow i don't understand trying to uh, figure out if they have the equipment because we're recording them via via a, a program called Squadcast, really cool yeah. podcast app so it's been interesting but i've been in i've
1: been loving the challenge it's been a really really fun challenge i think it's pushed us out of our comfort zone a lot and i've been enjoying it well you know so often we get caught in that same routine
0: right mm-hmm. week after week let's record them let's bring them into the house mm-hmm. da, 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 da. but this has been fun
1: it is but i i am excited for when we can bring people back oh in the it, house. it will be yeah it, i'm just
0: waiting for mom to say it's okay to go no I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, are you thinking of moving to Salt Lake City? Are you looking at finally getting out of the rent game and finally buying your own house? Well, you need to contact our good friend Monique at Market Source Real Estate.
1: She actually helped us find the home that we're recording this podcast in right now. And for almost 20 years, Market Source Real Estate has been specializing in helping people just like you and me buy and sell homes in the Sugar House as well as the greater Salt Lake area.
0: Listen, Market Source Real Estate has a background in flipping houses because they've owned almost 20 homes themselves, so they know the ins, they know the outs of older homes, if older homes are your thing.
1: Which I loved on our house hunt because older homes are totally my thing. A lot of work. A lot of work, but they're so cute. And if you're looking to sell your home, Market Source Real Estate specializes in helping sellers update or repair their homes to increase their value and make sellers more money. All right. So if you're looking to move to Salt Lake City, if you're looking at maybe just moving across town, downgrading whatever
0: it is, contact Monique at Marcus Source Real Estate. Her website thinksaltlakecity.com. Better yet, here's her phone number. Give her a call 801-810-6773. Many thanks to Monique at Marcus Source Real Estate for sponsoring this episode. Let's get into that conversation that we had with Cody and Ross from Bewilder Brewing. Such a great conversation. Such a great group of guys. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. This is going to be great. Well, let's get started. We have uh, Bewilder Brewing, Cody and Ross. Ross was actually on episode 272 of I Am Salt Lake podcast. Uh, it's really easy to find on the website, iamsaltlakecom slash 272. We actually tried to record this interview um, the other night, but you know the uh, the internets didn't want to let us do it, so we're kind of a, a take two. But I think we're going to be able to pull it off this time. Oh yeah. How did the two of you guys meet? I don't know. Did Ross? Did you share that story when we had you back on in two seventy two? Because you guys already own Salt City Brew Supply and Ogden Brew Supply. So how did you guys meet before that even?
2: Uh, I don't think i talked about it if i did it was super brief but uh we can go into it again real quick cody and i grew up on the same street in Sugarhood. and um when i moved here east
3: Stabbington. Oh, yeah
2: east stabbington <laughs> when my family moved here from
0: iowa we moved across the street from cody and we've been friends since we were three years old the idea for bewilder brewing how did that idea come to you? I mean, this has been an idea, I guess, for a while, and then you were finally able to make it an actual reality. How did that happen? Like from the from the dream to the reality, like, like whose idea was it to finally say, let's really get going with this? Um, I think Cody can take that one. I
2: think he pushed it a little harder than me.
3: I mean, I guess you could say I get bored every four or five years, but, you know, we did Salt City Brew Supply and everything was going well, and we started seeing a bunch of our customers opening breweries and having really good success with that and so we started kicking the tires 2014 and i went to chicago to to the siebel institute and did some little bit of coursework there to go over you know brewery management and things like that and then started going to the big commercial brewing conferences looking at equipment and seeing what the financial requirements would be to get it going um but at the time the the homebrewing industry was really surging and we didn't want to and neglect the cash cow, so to speak. So we ended up kind of putting the brewery in the back burner for a couple of years, opened up a second homebrew store. Um, and once the homebrewing industry kind of stabilized and plateaued a little bit, you know, then we started looking at, you know, putting some of our, you know, emotional resources into, you know, trying the next, the next phase, the next step.
0: Was it tough to find an actual physical location for Bewilder Brewing?
3: Because yeah, you're right. Absolutely. There on
0: 300, 300 west and about fourth what what is your exact address there? It's...
3: So we're four forty-five south, four hundred west. Um initially west, okay. we didn't we didn't really want to be in uh downtown Salt Lake. We wanted to be in the Midvale area, ideally next door to our own brew store. Um and we were looking at you know the space there and we had a couple spaces on old Midvale Main that we were looking at. And they're all really cool. We we were honestly, probably a day away from signing a lease for the space next to our homebrew store in the old Universal Athletic space uh, when the deal fell apart because somebody came in and essentially bought the whole building. And since we were the smaller fish there, I mean, I can't blame the, the property owner for going with the deeper pockets, but we kind of got based out of our location there. And so at that point, this is two and a half, well, I guess two years ago, it would have been summer of 18 um we just kinda opened up our search to all of Salt Lake and you know I was on LoopNet every day looking at different properties and I found the listing for what was the old Club X and I mean it had an existing bar in it and a kitchen and it had parking downtown um and the and the lease rate was pretty reasonable. Uh it was a bigger space than we were looking for, but we really just thought it was too good of an opportunity to pass up. You know, having a downtown location. That, that close to all the current expansion that's kind of going south and west with parking was just a really good opportunity for us. Very cool. And so, you
0: guys have been there, you said two and a half years, three, you've been there a couple of years then now.
3: Yeah. So, we signed our lease in October of 18, and then we let the current uh, tenant, which was Club X, stay through January while we got our ducks in a row, or that was the intent, anyways. But then the government shut down on us. So, all the time we were going to spend getting our ducks in a row were waiting for the government to get their ducks in a row because our, our loan was most government backed, it was an SBA loan. So, you know, we ended up right off the bat getting behind a little bit. But yeah, we signed a lease in October of eighteen and we started, you know, some of the destruction in February, March of nineteen, and then really started building in earnest in June of nineteen. When we
0: talked the first time, I know we talked a little bit about how some of the other local breweries here in Salt Lake City actually brewed beer for you in the beginning. They because you weren't able to do the brewing at your brewery. So, I mean, let's let's talk a little bit about that again uh, since we're recording here. I don't. How did that work out? What was the problem? What caused it?
3: Yeah. So, so one of the reasons you wanted to stay in the beer industry and not try and like spread out a little bit was just because of how collaborative and cooperative the the people are, and it's kind of a, a very tight knit community. Um, almost everybody gets gets along really well. Like we went, I went to a presentation by Sam from Dogfish Head years ago, and I think he opened with the best thing about this industry is that it's 95% asshole free, and that couldn't be closer to the truth. I mean, almost everybody is really helpful, and like I was saying a second ago, I, I think one of the reasons is they realize everybody's success and fate is kind of dependent on each other. If you know, my my dad was loyal to MGD and he only drank MGD, but nobody's loyal to you know Sierra Nevada or those craft brands they're they're loyal to craft in general so the larger the percentage of the craft industry is the larger every individual piece of the pie becomes so that kind of bred a spirit of collaboration in the entire industry you know nationally and worldwide um when we started to get open we kind of got caught in a goofy loophole where we had our tavern license that allowed us to buy and sell beer anyways across our own taps but the manufacturing license is done differently. So we could get our conditional tavern license before we open. And once we got our business license, we were able to sell beer, but we couldn't even apply for manufacturing until uh, we had our business license. And since we're in the People's Republic of Salt Lake, they will not allow you to get a business license until you've passed your final inspection. So we legally couldn't even apply to manufacture beer until we were legally ready to open our doors
0: um but so, you could legally have other breweries come in yeah. to do their beer
3: so i could still yeah. sell beer i just couldn't make it so okay. luckily we're pretty we're, we've been part of the community for a while we reached out to a lot of our friends um in the industry and it was at a time that was kind of hard for everybody because there was a changeover from four percent to five percent so a lot of breweries had very little tank space um but everybody that could possibly fit us in was more than willing to do it and so we brewed in I think six different breweries um, made some collaborative beers. A lot of breweries were really cool about coming and working together and doing something kind of cooperative and collaborative. A couple of breweries were just like, you know what? You guys have been really good at the brew industry and helped support it from the homebrew side. We'll just brew your recipe. Like whatever you want to do, you tell us. We'll just brew it in our equipment. And so it was a good opportunity because um, I got to go in and brew in all those different breweries and see different techniques and different equipment and work with different people. And so... It was really helpful um, before we got started to be able to do that. Plus, we actually got to open and make some money, which we really, really needed to do. Are other communities as
0: tight-knit as the, the Salt Lake City brewery community seems pretty tight, at least from my perception and from breweries that we've had on the podcast? Do you think that's a Salt Lake City thing, or do you think that happens everywhere, or you probably have no idea?
3: Well, I, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know exactly how the, every community is, but I think the general feeling is that that's how it is everywhere. Some of the yeah. some of the bigger fish ha- get into their little squabbles. You know, there's been stuff between Sierra Nevada and Lagunitas and and different things. And as the market gets a little tighter, I think you'll see more of that. But you know, generally, when you go to the big brewing conferences, everybody's really excited to be there and talk to people and share ideas. And you know, there's there's not a ton of people that consider than what they do, trade secrets. So there's a lot of, you know, collaborative and cooperative information going out there.
0: Now, how many different kinds of beer do you have on tap there? You have, because you have quite a few, right?
3: Right now, I think we have ten as of today. Uh, we have sixteen tap handles, so it's been a bit of a process to get the tap handles filled out. You know, and we were in that process for the first six weeks of brewing from January into mid March, and then everything kind of got haywire on us. So now we're kind of back to, you know, getting a good mix of beers on tap, getting fresh beers on tap and and filling those tap panels out. So we have a lot of variety for different people.
0: And when you say it got out of control and, and what, now you're talking about March when, when the old uh, COVID hit us, I guess, is kind of what you're talking about with, yeah. with all that. I mean, was that a pretty big hit for you then when you had to shut
3: down? Oh, it was, it was massive. You know, it was like, Literally mid mid February, we started to hit our stride operationally. We were, you know, our cash flow was starting to to pay all the bills, and you know, all of our inside operations and our personnel were starting to get things figured out. You know, we had a, you know beer on tap, and then you know, one of our things you wanted to do is you wanted to you know brew some cool seasonal beers, and so our first opportunity we had was going to be um, St. Patrick's Day, and we brewed a whole bunch of Irish beer. St. Patrick's Day. Like, I, I got the opportunity to go back to Ireland last year and drank a whole bunch of beers. And I wanted to bring some of that back to Salt Lake and brew some different things. And we got all those beers ready. And then we couldn't even be open for St. Patrick's Day.
1: At that point, were you, I mean, was there a point where you were like, I give up? <laughs> like, <laughs> we've hit literally every obstacle you could possibly hit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, like, that's impressive that you just you keep finding ways and pushing through. It certainly has you know? felt
2: that way, but. We've gotten through
1: it.
3: Yeah, it's always a little bit of what's next with us. You know, we're, we're pretty resilient and we kind of keep even keeled. Like my wife, you know, she's, she gets frustrated because when we have things go good. I don't really get all that excited about it because it's just one little thing going good. Or on the same token, when things go bad, I don't let the bad things drag me down. Um, it, it has been frustrating and, you know, it's just the way it goes. It, we just have to keep pushing along and eventually we get to the other side.
0: And you have employees, though, too, between the three stores. So you had to shut down three stores, tell three employees to go home and say, hey, sorry, there's no work for you. That uh. Luckily,
2: the homebrew shops are considered grocery stores for the most part. So they didn't actually get to close down. They were considered essential. And our employees were good enough that they wanted to stay on and help us out there. We didn't make anybody do anything, but they
0: were more than happy to do it. So. We should have gone in there, Chrissy, because Chrissy wants to uh, get like a winemaking kit. And I we're, keep researching
1: we're... how to make wine. And uh-huh. I know we even talked about this on the episode yeah. that you were on like two years ago. And I, I literally went out. I was so excited about spring. I went out and picked a whole yard of dandelions. And I was like, I'm finally going to do it. I'm going to make dandelion wine. And we were going to go pick some up. And, and then I didn't do it. So, but I will. We have the
2: conversations starting right about now this time of year with. 10 people a day, every day. So come on in. We'll talk to you about making wine.
1: Excellent. I, once you start researching it, it looks a little
2: intimidating. Yeah. When it's written all out, you know, even making a peanut butter sandwich when it's written out seems daunting, but if you talk to somebody about it and maybe even see it done, it, it becomes pretty, pretty easy.
1: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Salt Lake City Dreadlock shop. The Salt Lake City Dreadlock Shop's mission is to make Utah cool one dreadlock at a time while offering a clean, affordable, and professional experience filled with love and understanding. And I know because I was lucky enough to get my dreads done by them. I have loved every minute of it. And my favorite part is actually going in and getting my hair done and visiting and spending time there. They're like a big family. They're they're fun to talk to. They're great at hair. You're You're going to have a great time. And if you want... So if you want to start your dread journey... Just contact them. You can get a free consultation or just get in touch with them. First, text them a picture of your hair at 801-824-8298. Include what you're looking for, include your name, and wait for a response. They will text you back as soon as possible, and they are always there to answer any questions that you might have. You can get a free consultation or just get in touch right now. Text them a picture of your hair at 801-824-8298. Include what you're looking for, include your name, and wait for a response, and they will text you back as soon as possible. You can always also text them for tips or ideas or questions before you come in. They're very helpful and they're very responsive. I cannot recommend them enough. Go ahead and follow them on social media or text them at 801-824-8298. And thank you, Salt Lake City Dreadlock Shop, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast.
0: So, are you guys completely back open now? Uh, the the restaurant inside uh, Bewilder Brewing there uh, for people to come in, sit down, and get a bite to eat, or is it all to go?
3: Yeah, I mean, we're open. We have our space. The one thing we have going for us is a really big space. We've got almost five thousand square feet in our dining area, so we're able to to really spread people out. You know, we had to reduce our capacity in half, but we our capacity was two hundred and sixty, so you know, one hundred and thirty still a lot of people, and we haven't even flirted with that. But we have, you know, lots of tables spread out. Um, we're open, a full menu, and a growing list of beers. Although our hours aren't what they once were, you know, we seem to really get pretty slow in the evenings. You know, COVID obviously impacted the amount of people that are downtown, and there's not any kind of convention traffic or tourism traffic that would have helped us. And then the the riots and the protests downtown have kept a lot of people away. So. You know, like we just talked about a second ago, it seems like once we get past one thing, it's just another. With any luck, the rest of the year <clears throat> will will smooth out and there won't be any other issues around election time or, you know, as things get cooler in the fall.
0: What do you think long term wise? I mean, do you think this is really going to damage our downtown restaurant community in Salt Lake City, especially with no events going on this summer? No. I mean, all the festivals is have been canceled, and your capacities what fifty percent. I mean, what can we do as a community to help you guys?
3: Well, I my personal feeling is that um, the majority of restaurants are going to be really hurting by midsummer. Even the most successful ones, you know, Takashi T- T- is an example I use a lot because Takashi's been wildly successful for a lot of years. I mean, they're a two-hour wait list every day of the week. Seems like. But, I mean, with six feet between tables, they can fit, what, 20 people in there and they can't have bar seating. Ooh. So pretty, pretty successful businesses are going to struggle with the new rules. You know, obviously, you know, new crops of businesses will, will pop up that, you know, can navigate in the current climate. But the existing ones are really going to struggle. I, I think the more businesses that can open – Initially, it'll probably spread out the number of people that are comfortable going out into more and more businesses. But I think the more of those businesses that open will give more of a feeling of normalcy. And over time, we'll see more people willing to go out and feel comfortable going out.
0: What was the biggest challenge for you with even reopening when uh, you were able to reopen, what, like May?
3: Well, we tried to do and we still are doing the curbside pickup and the food to go. We're on DoorDash. Um, the thing is, our food model really wasn't designed for, for to-go. A lot of people, when they're looking at food for delivery, they really want to help out and you know, support their local businesses. But generally, it's you know pizza and wings and Chinese and that sort of thing that's really successful there, and we didn't have that. Um, so the hardest thing for us to get open was, was really keeping our staff on and, and focused and making sure everybody is willing to do it and then making sure we're all on the same page because there's a lot of requirements that we need to keep. For sanitation and, and make sure everybody's safe. And you know, as a brewery, we obviously take you know cleanliness and sanitation really, really seriously. But even before this, as a restaurant, we take it very seriously as well. You know, we can't just let people sit at dirty tables and not clean dishes and stuff. But we're now we just have to take it, you know, one step further and make sure that there's specific processes in place and there's accountability to everybody for those processes. Um, we we have a lot less.
2: And there's optics to it, too. People want to see our employees with masks and gloves and, and spread out as much as possible so they feel comfortable. Even though the, the processes really didn't change a whole lot, the optics of people coming in and seeing those things make them more comfortable.
3: Oh, yeah, certainly. Absolutely. You know, um, and, and even people that work at other restaurants have come in and be like, ooh, they're not doing that or they're not doing this. You know, the reality is every, every restaurant is going to have slightly different interpretation of what the guidelines are and how they're going to implement them. You know, all we can do is do what's best for us and our employees. And you know, luckily, we have some really good full-time people that can that are very experienced both in the restaurant and in the pub. And so we don't need to have a lot of people around and we can stagger the group. So we have, you know, basically one cook on at all times. And so if one cook were to get sick, you know, we have other cooks and they're not kind of crossing paths, so we should be able to stay open. So far, though, we haven't had any issues. Nobody's gotten sick Um, and nobody that I know of that's come through our places has, has gotten sick. I mean, we've we've taken it pretty seriously and we've tried to cut zero to as few corners as possible to make sure that our our place is safe for both us and our, and our customers. You were
0: mentioning DoorDash a couple of minutes ago, and I was actually just talking with Chrissy about this the other night, kind of. So there's like these new DoorDash, Uber Eats, all these new delivery services, but they're actually, from what I've seen, they're actually not really that good for restaurants because they take such so much of your money, right? So it's kind of hard to even make a profit. Am I correct?
3: Yeah, it really does take the the margin out of it. You know, there's still some profitability, but it doesn't doesn't go nearly as far. But for us, it it was just a matter of any any cash flow is going to be good cash flow. We wanted to keep our the best core employees employed so we could have them back when things come around. And also just having our name on those platforms were so new, we would hopefully generate just some interest and some buzz from people seeing something they didn't recognize. So even though we weren't making the margins um, or getting the traffic on those platforms that we thought, we kind of approached it as, as nothing else, a, a new form of advertising to get in front of people that was essentially free. And I don't know, you know, it didn't necessarily... We didn't do a lot of volume and food, but, you know, there's no way to quantify the reach of that. You know, there was thousands of people on those platforms scrolling through and, you know, certainly hundreds, if not thousands saw our logo and saw our brand. And hopefully when things open up, think about us.
1: Well, yeah, that's smart that you did decide to get on all the platforms because you are creating brand recognition.
3: Yeah, that was, that was the idea. You know, do everything we yeah. can, you know, take every opportunity we can to get out there. And, you know, we're still on DoorDash. That was the one we had the best traction with. What's
1: your favorite thing on your menu?
3: (laughs) You know, honestly, I I love, I I wouldn't say, I can't say I love everything, but I I really have a soft spot in my heart for the Chicago beef sandwich. When I got to go back to Chicago for some brewing classes, that was a big thing there. It's called hot Italian beef in Chicago. We we call it Chicago beef. The Suffolk sausage, which is an English style sausage that goes over mashed potatoes with an onion gravy is really, really good. If I ate it every day like I wanted to, I'd probably have a heart attack, I guess. And then right now we have a Argentinian chorizo called a criollo that's really, really good. It's really good. So it's it's tough because we want to roll out a bunch of seasonal stuff. And we want to roll out a, lot
2: of banging in the a bunch of cool
3: appetizers. You guys want a six-year-old? <laughs> ha, ha, ha,
0: ha.
1: We have too many.
0: We know how it is, buddy. We know how it is. What's the meaning behind the name? I've actually was meaning to ask that near more of the beginning. Is there any meaning behind it?
3: So it's got a really good uh, creation story. Um, you're going to love this. It's about the only name not taken. I, I don't know. It doesn't have a cool romantic tale to it. We had a couple names picked out and we had designed some art and some branding for the different names. And then we found out some of the names were you know protected by other brands, other breweries out there. And so... As we kept going through them, we just kind of kept coming back to Bewilder. You know, we found it very bewildering how difficult it was to find a name for a beer or for a brewery that wasn't already taken. Um, But it kind of had this intentionally playful and incohesive uh, aspect to it because it could be Bewilder. It could be Bewilder. Um, It allows us to do kind of creative and off-brand things because they're bewildering. Um, and then hopefully with time, we want to, we have a whole 2,500 square foot uh, sour space that we want to do barrel-aged sours in. And you know, that would probably be easily rebranded as be wilder, you know, more wild sour beers. Um, so it doesn't have a really cool origin story, but, you know, it. we, we like the opportunity. It has to play in different directions for us.
0: Do either one of you guys have uh, one or two pieces of advice for somebody who might want to start a business, start a physical location? Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the beer industry.
2: I mean, I, w- I would say just do as much research in that industry as possible. Talk to as many people that are in that those businesses as you can. Try to find out the things that you don't know as much as possible. And that's obviously hard to do. Uh, but those are some of the the roadblocks or issues that we we were able to overcome early on is because we, we've we been in this industry for
0: a while. So we, we asked in our Facebook group if anybody had any questions for you. And one of our listeners, Brittany, had a couple questions she wanted to ask you guys. So I'm going to ask him here. She says uh, they get to rewrite Utah laws and regulations regarding making and selling beer. What do they do? So
3: what's... Uh, that sounds
1: like a college essay yeah.
0: question.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, deprivatization. What would you change about beer? I, I, I mean, I would take the government out of the liquor business first and foremost, but I think outside of that, and it's something the DABC, I know, has had on their radar for a long time They just haven't had somebody able to sponsor it, is they need a taproom law that allows local breweries to sell their products produced on site across their own tap, tap handles, regardless of alcohol content. Because it seems silly to me for a lot of reasons, you know, if someone wants to get uh, a 12% Imperial Stout and they package it in 22-ounce bottles because it has to be packaged mm. in Utah, why should somebody have to open a 22-ounce bottle to drink that beer? I can't you pour them a 4-ounce or a 6-ounce glass of it, you know, and similarly, if a, like, a bit, like a packaging brewery that only cans or bottles, if they want to have a tap room and they have a product that's over four, 5% alcohol – they have to package it in a can or a bottle, bring it out to the tap room, pour it in a glass, and then throw the packaging away. So a rule like that would universally help local businesses. It would keep you know thousands, if not millions, of cans and bottles out of landfills. Um, and it would, would honestly prevent overconsumption, especially on some of those higher alcohol beers. Um, maybe one day that'll come to be, I think, you know, a lot of liquor legislation is going to change in the next year just in, to react to the current climate we have, um, but, but time will tell.
0: It's been interesting over the years, especially the last 10 years, uh, to see all the liquor laws changing and all the beer laws and the private clubs for members not, no longer being the private club for members. And I mean, just everything. It's It's been pretty cool to see the the liquor laws loosening up here a little bit here in Utah.
3: Yeah. And, you when, know, it's, when, <laughs> it's sad. Like you can go to a lot of states. Like I was just in California last summer and I went to a big brewery and it had a playground outside and there was kids in the playground and families there. You know, the adults were allowed to be adults and have a drink and the kids were allowed to play on the playground together. And it's like a community it was like a community gathering place, which I think is the case with breweries and pubs worldwide. It's unfortunate in Utah we're not allowed to do that. And you know, it's almost like they're not allowed to be adults. It's you know, some people that don't that that never drank before can't fathom a world where you could have or alcohol within a, a kid's reach, and you can prevent them from drinking it. But yet they have, you know, Drano and window cleaner on the shelves too, and kids don't drink that. You just teach teach your kids not to do that. As, you know, for adults and parents who are supposed to do.
0: That's a good. it's a good anal- analogy. That
1: really is. It's fascinating because I grew up in Wisconsin, so I'm used to like seeing families go to the bar as like family night. You yeah. know, they'll go hang out in a bar, and the kids will just play games. while the parents sit and
3: drink, and it's,
1: it's so interesting that Utah is such a different uh, environment that way. I'm really hoping that they start to open up.
3: There's no reasoning behind it. Like there's no studies they can point to that said a kid that sees their parents drinking an alcoholic drink in a bar are more likely to be prone to alcoholism. And alcoholism is a disease, and people that are prone to it are prone to it regardless of whether they saw their parents drink or not. Um, you know, there's there's lots of cultures that have existed and been highly successful. You know, where drinking is a huge part of it. I mean, in Germany, you can buy a beer in a vending machine, and you can go get on the bus and on the train with it. You know, and Germany's been pretty successful in the world over the years.
0: Let's uh, let's switch directions. There's a few Salt Lake City-related questions that we ask on the show. I think we asked you Ross when you were on the podcast, Uh, but I'm going to ask you both again. So maybe you both have different answers. Maybe you'll have the same. Uh, When you have family and friends come to town, is there like? The, a little tour you give them, you know, downtown, the mountains, a hiking trail, Park City. Do you have one or two favorite places that you like to show?
3: Um, I think in, for me, if it's in Salt Lake, there's a lot of little places I like to take people. You know, I, I tend to take them away from the, the really busy places. I have a couple neighborhood bars I like to go to. Take them to those places where they can kind of see exactly who the people are that live here and not necessarily see, you know, Temple Square where there's throngs of tourists around. Um, But I, I personally really encourage people to get out and see the rest of Utah because that's what's so amazing about this place is just the proximity to so many amazing places you can experience and see. And, you know, even outside of the five national parks, like the places that are off the beaten path are absolutely stunning and unbelievable. And if you take the time to go out and see them, it's, it's, uh, life changing.
0: What, what about you? What about, uh, what about you, Ross? Um, same. I'm pretty
2: outdoors oriented as well, but there's, uh. I've taken a few friends from out of town, just a quick trip. I live over in Midvale, so I can go up Fort Union, up Big Cottonwood Canyon, over to Park City, hit some breweries in Park City, then down to Salt Lake and hit a couple places and then back in a few hours. And it's a pretty good loop to kind of show people the valley and the mountains and Park City and downtown and back pretty quickly and and being able to access the mountains and get pretty far up in the mountains, that quickly is pretty unique to us. So it's a good little loop.
0: What about uh, any favorite local eating spots? Do you guys have one or two favorite restaurants you like to go to in town?
2: I live, like I said, in Midvale, right by the Bohemian. I love their beer. I love their food quite a bit. Um, So I I go there quite a bit. Um, There's a lot of places downtown that I I like, but, you know, I'm out in the suburbs, so I don't make it downtown all all that often, unless I'm at the brewery.
3: You know, I've been going to Red Iguana since the probably mid-80s. I remember there used to be a, a TV on the floor in the bathroom uh, called Old Tube TV, and there were bolt holes in the window. That was my favorite place to go as a kid, and that place has come along. So, you know, the Red Iguana has always had a, a spot in my heart. Um, Takashi is one of my favorite places to eat. Those are the two places I, I send people the most. Would either What would you change about
0: Salt Lake City if you could change anything? Wow, pre COVID, pre pre COVID. I've
2: been to a lot of cities. I've, I feel fairly well traveled into other cities, and I always come back to Salt Lake. I mean, I really like Salt Lake City for a lot of reasons. I, I wouldn't change a whole lot about it, except for maybe loosening up some of the liquor laws. But you know, a lot of cities and a lot of states uh, have some weird liquor laws. We're not the only ones. So I don't know. It's a nice, clean city with good people and i like it quite a bit
3: yeah I, I think ross hit the nail on the head there's some goofy liquor laws and it'd be nice to let the adults make adult decisions but in reality you know it would say a lot about me if i chose to live somewhere strictly because of the liquor laws it's a clean place it's a safe place there's amazing access to, to outdoor activities it's it's pretty pretty amazing i think um the more people that come here even just for a ski season it, and they end up staying for their whole life speaks to just exactly what it is. And part of the, the stigma of Utah, those goofy liquor laws probably keeps us from being overpopulated. And, you know, if this became a really huge city, I'd probably like it a little bit less.
0: And that's what we hear that yeah. a lot from people we bring through here. And not a lot of people it's like, yeah, just don't the charm is anything. a big part. Yeah.
1: The, the strange charm. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Now, as we kind of wrap up the show, was there anything that we you were hoping we would talk about? i kind of like to try to open it up near the end, right? Like, make sure we talked about everything that you wanted to talk about or if there's anything you wanted to promote. I appreciate you guys doing the podcast with us.
3: Oh, man, I appreciate you guys having us. We need, we need all the exposure we can get. I mean, if there's anything I can add in there to close is that, you know, local beer, like fresh beer is good and local beer is fresh. And in these times, like, There's never been a time like now where local businesses, local breweries, need your support. You know, whatever way you can, get out there and support local restaurants and breweries. Um, Buy local beer, drink local beer. You know, we we, Utah had a bad stigma for a lot of years because we had a four percent draft, and nobody thought there was good beer here. But um, the reality is, making beer that's drinkable at four percent is really hard. And now that we're at five percent, all the techniques that people had for making those good beers at four percent translate even better to five percent. And so there's. Amazing world class beers that come out of Utah, and we should all be really excited to drink them and not, you know, spend our time trying to source beers from out of state when we have really good beers right here under our noses. We do have some good beers here.
1: Yeah, we do. Mm -mm -mm. Time to go get some. And if
0: you're stuck at home, you can always homebrew as well. They, that's right so Salt City plug your other business I mean because I didn't even mention that in the whole conversation well the at yeah, the beginning
2: yeah I mean if you're stuck at home or want another hobby or have some extra time uh, home brewing is really easy to get into it's a really inexpensive hobby to get into uh, you can make your own beer or wine or hard cider kombucha whatever whatever fermented beverage you want we can help you with uh, we have a location in Midvale and one in Ogden so you can come in and figure out how to do those things
3: there is no better way to learn a lot about beer than to make beer. Yeah. I mean, you can drink every beer in the world, but until you make it, you don't really fully wrap your brain around what goes into it and the nuances that yeah. make one beer
1: different. Like than you don't the other. appreciate it.
0: Not in the same way anyway. What's uh what about social media websites? Um how can people find you there?
2: Yeah, so bewilderbrewing.com, dot com or you can find us on any social media basically at bewilderbeer that's our handle
0: on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. So you can find us anywhere you want. And before we leave, Chrissy has a final question that I she do. asks everybody that comes through here. I don't, uh, do, I don't know if Cody's still with us, but uh, I'll let her take it away. He's so still. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Each of you, could you, could you uh, leave our listeners with a motto or piece of life advice that you live by?
2: Yeah. I mean, my grandpa used to say. Anything's possible if you don't know any better. And I feel like that really hit home in the last year for me. So that's a really good piece of advice to live on.
3: Uh, I always tell people, drive fast, take chances. If anything gets in your way, turn.
1: Thank you again to Ross and Cody for joining us on this episode of the podcast. All the links that we mentioned in this conversation can be found with this episode show notes on our podcast website, which can be found at iamsaltlake.com four
0: three All right, Chrissy, we are going to bring back the voicemail line.
1: Yes, we've been talking about this for a little bit. I, well,
0: I've been talking about it for a long time. So, you know, when I started this podcast, I had a voicemail line. Nobody ever really called it. And so I kind of gave up on it. I felt stupid promoting it.
1: Well, it's hard when you don't know what to have people call in for.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm bringing it back, but I'm, I have a different voicemail number. I was able to get my hands on an 801 number because the last time it was like a 385 number and I was a little embarrassed to have that. So <laughs> so it's an 801 number. I'm going to give it. It's 801-613-1592. What I thought could be really fun here, Chrissy, is because we're looking for content, especially since uh, we're not doing interviews in person right now. But I mean, I want to keep this voicemail going forever. Yeah. Give us a call. You know, say your name, you know, maybe, hey, this is Don, Frank, Bill, whatever. Uh, And then, you know, the three standard Salt Lake City questions that we give uh, really every guest that comes through here. I want you to either answer one of them or all of them. Uh, The questions are, what is the tour that you give your family and friends when they come to town? What are a couple of your favorite local eating spots? And what would you change about Salt Lake City?
1: And I love this because if people can even call in and and share their favorite local eating spots or places in town, that actually will help us continue to promote a lot of our local businesses. Oh, exactly. So, you know, support your local businesses and mention them. And don't be afraid if it's your own
0: business. Don't be afraid and call it up and say, hey, my favorite local eating spot is. And
1: Yeah, why not? You'll get a shout out. Give give yourself yourself a a
0: little promotion. Again, that number, 801-613-1592. Use this voicemail for anything. If you have any comments on any of our guests or anything that they've said anything we've said we would love to hear from you uh weekly recommendations
1: though chrissy are you ready quarantine edition I'm we should let- have like a number of quarantine editions.
0: Yeah. <laughs> number 23. We had a bit of a Dave Chappelle night last
1: night. We totally did. It was amazing. So I'm
0: going to let you go first with your okay. recommendation because this is uh this is new content which everybody needs to check out.
1: Yes. So uh Chris and I both heard about the new Dave Chappelle special. I don't know exactly what to call it cuz He's calling it 846. Well, I mean, it's the name of it is 846. And it's not a typical comedy special. No. Because he really addresses a lot of the issues that are happening right now with Black Lives Matter and just kind of society as a whole. And it's really, really good. He is an absolute genius.
0: You can check it out on YouTube.
1: Yeah, it's on YouTube. I think Netflix is a joke is the the channel that, that it's on. I
0: don't know. But.
1: No worth it. Please, please, please go watch it. And my recommendation is the classic
0: film Half Baked, of course, with our friend Dave Chappelle. Uh nineteen ninety-eight is when that came out. We I noticed that last night when I hit play on it. We we rented it uh on Amazon. Uh, 1998. I, I remember. I remember when that came out, and <laughs> and uh, was so excited because I was like, "Oh man, look at this! Look at this weed I got to smoke during well, this I've, movie." I've so.
1: heard of Half Baked, but I didn't even know Dave Chappelle was in it. Oh, he's young so, in it. He is yeah, young. He's so so young. go go visit that if you haven't uh, seen that for a while. It is great. I approve. And before we leave, I want to remind you that our entire back catalog of podcast episodes are at Iamsaltlake.com. You can head over there, check them out, and share them with your friends and family. There's also all the links to subscribe. That way you don't miss
0: any of the episodes. We're in all the podcast players, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, even Pandora. We come to you. You have a great week. Get out and enjoy the city this week. It's going to be beautiful. Support local. And we'll see you next week on the next episode of I Am Salt Lake Podcast. And good night, Grammy.